Library Users of America, uh, we're happy to have you here. We expect there's going to be a number of stragglers. Um, and we might as well, because we can, we're a small enough group, quickly run through and introduce people, please. Starting in the front right corner, where I just sat our first speaker. Karen Kenninger. And next. Uh, Keep going. Donna Siren from Missouri. <coughs> Judy Dixon, NLS. And then I, I'm here, Judy Wilkinson. Judy Wilkinson. Going across. Warren Cushman, California. Hi, Warren. Anybody else next to you in your area? I don't hear anyone. Okay. How about behind you? Okay, I guess that would be me. I don't think anyone is right. right. Jean Johnson, Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm going to throw this in real quickly. Um, my husband and I are not LUA members yet, so anything y'all want to tell us about being a member and the benefits and all that good stuff, we're open to it. Ah, grist for the mill. I was going to say fresh meat, but grist for the mill probably is better. <laughs> all right, anybody else behind you? Well, there you go. My husband's to my left. And hi, husband to the left. By the name Hello. of? Carrie Johnson. Carrie Johnson. Nice to have you here. And I'm a book junkie. Uh, oh, yeah. You're in good company. Yeah, buddy. All right. Anybody else on the left side of the room going back? Nope. Hearing none, let's come back from the back or the right side of the room. John Amateur, Western Washington. Yeah, I, uh, I got and you. And some of you might remember the good old days when we had the wine and cheese parties. John Taylor and I was always the wine for I, I remember that, Miss Keith. Yeah. <coughs> we had fun. That, we did. Very good. And, and John John Taylor's cane technique was special. Oh, God. Lord knows. <laughs> Don't get in the way. Don't <laughs> All right, keeping coming forward of the amateurs. Desi. And Don from Ralph Phoenix. Smitherman from Mississippi. There's the Mississippi voice. Keep coming forward. That was it? Okay, good. Okay, so what I want to do <clears throat> this morning is turn the podium over to Karen to speak to us a little bit. We, of course, got to hear quite a bit this morning, but uh, the opportunity to speak in a smaller group and have more of a conversation. Uh, I think it's the whole reason that Karen's willing to come and join us so quickly after the last presentation. So if you would please welcome to the podium, Karen Herninger, head of NLS. Hey. Yeah, exactly. There we are. Good morning. Good afternoon. Hello, hello, hello. How many of you were at the thing this No, let me ask it this early. How many of you were not at the presentation this morning? Who are willing to admit it. Or who are willing to admit it. No. The only reason is I don't know whether I should repeat anything I said this morning. Apparently, I don't need to. I wasn't there. Okay, I did go through a lot of stuff this morning, so I will just take a quick run through again. Excellent idea. Okay, the first thing I, I talked about was the fact that we are working to distribute the the um, bill identifiers, and uh, we had done about fifty thousand of them, and counting the currency identifiers. That's kind of ancillary to the other work that we do. 
Um, I talked about the fact that Bard Express has been uh, released last fall and has got good reviews. Does anybody have any comments about Bard Express? Have you used it? Yes. And what do you think? Okay, good. All right, excellent. Um, I also talked about the fact that we have a new website that's going to be rolled out um, on the 10th. I don't have probably no questions about that at this point. And I talked about the fact that um, we are adding more content now than we have in the past. Talked about um, commercial audiobooks, adding about a thousand commercial audiobooks a year. That it plus the 2,000 or so books that we have narrated, which brings our total up to 3,000. Um, anybody have any comments about co commercial audio? Oh, they're great. Just fine. Okay, good. We've also um, been adding locally produced audio books to Bard and Braille books, um, books that have been produced by our network libraries. Uh, anybody have any comments about them? Well, I'm glad to hear that because that's what I think as well, and so I'm really, really <laughs> pleased there's, that. There's a guy from Arizona, Kent Monk, and he does a real good job. Really yeah. Good. Good. Yeah. Well, I love being able to hear written books written uh, read by somebody who has good Boston accent. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Okay. Um, we also, I mentioned this morning, we have a contract with recorded books for their backlist, and we're going to be adding about a 1,000 of those titles this coming year um, f that will primarily fill in series, and, and they're, they're, they're not brand new books, but they're books that we don't have yet, so that's another um, addition to the, to the books on BARD. It's a commercial, it's a commercial organization, yeah, it's just called... Well, it is. I believe that in the past there were there were decisions made based on the s scarcity of resources that said, should we do an entire series and not touch these other series, or should we do a bits of this series and that series? And for a while, the decision was to do bits of this series and that series so that people would have a wider variety of series. But it meant that all the fill-in books weren't done. So part of the goal of this recorded books program is to fill in some of those series. Now One of the nice things about recorded books is, is they're, they, they virtually never have music. Um, yeah. And so they're, they're, they're very close to the original talking books, really. Somebody over here has you had a question it? over there. Well, isn't that a wonderful question <laughs> and a good segue? Um, we would love to get books from Australia, Canada, the UK, and they would love to get books from us. Um, but we are hampered by the fact that we aren't part of the Marrakesh Treaty, and neither is the UK. Um, Canada and Australia are, so they can freely exchange. There is an organization called the Accessible Books Consortium, which is a, um, 
a project actually of the World Intellectual Property Organization, and they ha are attempting to share or to to set up a system. Well, they've set it up. They have a system that allows us to, as members of ABC, to share books with other members of ABC as long as the copyright is cleared. But that means they have to go through each uh, each rights holder for each book to get permission before it can be shared across borders. And some of them just plain won't do it. Um, and some of them will. So the Canadian books, we've actually, we don't have Canadian audio at this point except for some French. Um, we do have a, a chunk of Canadian Braille because they got to UEB before we did. So we got a bunch of their UEB books to help people understand that UEB was quite doable. Um, so our, our foreign language and materials also are... We've, we work on Spanish on a routine basis, but our uh, other languages are kind of catch-as-catch-can, and we're looking at ways that we might be able to improve that through the Accessible Books Consortium as well. Um, but as to whether and when we'll be able to get wholesale lots of books from Canada, Australia, UK, I'm not... I think we'll have to really be part of, uh, part of Marrakesh before that actually is going to be a reality. Karen, do you, do you see, and, and, and maybe this is an unfair question, but do you see, do you see that, that there's anything that, that either you or, or ACB can do in the current climate to, to forward the prospects of Marrakesh? <laughs> The current climate is the issue. As some of you may know, there was a lot of negotiation that went on last fall, early spring perhaps, um, between the blindness groups, ACB, NFB, AFB, um, and the, uh, the publishers, American Association of Publishers, and the library community. Um, in order to come to language for Mar uh, ratification of Marrakesh that would be acceptable to everyone. There are two pieces to ratification. One piece is actually ratifying the treaty, which the, the Foreign Relations Committee has to do. And the other piece, which is more ticklish, is the implement implementing legislation that would affect the Chafee Amendment. And that's where a lot of the... Um, a lot of the negotiation happened around was the Chafee Amendment. But that is now, as I understand it today, that has been agreed upon, accepted, the negotiations for the language and that sort of thing have come to a point where everybody said they could live with what was there. And so it's now a matter of when the Judiciary Committee will take it up and the Foreign Relations Committee. And as you can imagine, the Judiciary Committee has other things they've been thinking about. And <laughs> I imagine so does the Foreign Relations Committee, considering everything. So it, it's not high profile at this point. It is being monitored, and I believe we will be notified. We'll be notified when it is time to step up and encourage our uh, people to, to vote for it. But the time is not now. Is, is what I've been told. Um, this is Josette from Oxford, uh, Canada. Well, I, I'm fortunate that I get the U.S. library service, but um, I, um, I think a lot of people up there feel 
Oh, you, oh, I'm sorry. Apparently that's a hazard. It's, um, I don't know. <laughs> um, and, and I know there are a lot of, a lot of, um, well, a lot of the English-speaking world would really like to have full access to our catalog. Um, we understand that we are not because of our, our funding legislation. We are not allowed. This is what my lawyers tell me, and we'd have to do what the lawyers say. We are not allowed to even do like um, interlibrary loan anymore. Yeah, they used to years ago. Yeah, but we they're just we're not even allowed to do that. We can do some exchange through the ABC consortium, and the reason we can do that. Is primarily because we pretty much get as much as we give, um, and that keeps it kind of an even thing, which basically means that the volume's pretty low right now. But um, I, I don't know what the answer to that is. When Marrakesh becomes a reality for America, there will be a lot of people knocking on our doors. There will be a lot that needs to be um, worked out in terms of logistics. In, in, in order to help serve the people who are looking for the material that we have. Um, we are extremely fortunate in the United States, and we, we do recognize that. We provide talking book machines to everybody who, uh, who wants one, and I know that that's not universal. The talking book machine thing? Well, no. It's it's a yeah I know they've been trying to make some changes in Canada trying to improve the system trying to get more public libraries involved in providing service and trying to get more federal funding and it's it's a yeah it's a challenge. Well, I another question for you, if I may. Yes. More and more commercially produced books in, in our programs. How is that impacting, or is it impacting, collection development policies in general? I.e., let's face it, the reason that there are commercial books out there is people willing to buy them. Uh, and so it's not a matter of what would make for a good library collection, it's what makes for good commerce. The, the approach that we have taken to that 
is that we are not, I have no intention of going strictly to commercial books, because you're right, that's bookstore stuff, that's what people want to buy, but it isn't the kind of thing that builds a library collection, and it does not meet the needs of, of a lot of people. So the way that we're approaching it is that we are doing about a thousand um, commercially, commercially recorded books in a year, that's what we're doing right now, and those will take a lot of the um, comparable material that we would have otherwise had recorded. That leaves the funding and the resources for a actually a deeper, um, broader collection um, based on the fact that we are still recording the same number of books that we were before, but where we can pick up perhaps a some of the lighter fiction, some of the more popular fiction um, through the commercial route, then we're able to do more um, more kinds of things with with our narrated stuff. If that makes sense. <laughs> okay. I, okay. There was a question in the back. You don't, okay, there's a label on the box. There's a label on the box, so you don't need a card. The label on the box will, will, will send it back. It's, um, it, yeah, there, I'll tell you why we do that. Um, the reason that we switched to doing that is that we were sending, there are people who use those order forms, and the people who use those order forms were getting confused because they were not getting them with the talking book topics and they were coming at such a distance in time that they were losing them. So that's why um, it's costing us extra to do it that way, but it is meeting a serious need. So. Just send them back as is. Um, yeah, just toss them in the mail. Yeah, they need to come back to get credit so you'll keep getting them. So just th throw them in the mail. Any of, well, not any. A lot of the talking books have those kind of labels on them. Anyway, your magazine cartridges all do. Okay. <coughs> Question? Yes. Uh, this is Steve Bauer. I work for Braille Institute, and I, when you mentioned the figure of 85% of the folks don't use BARD, that was kind of a wake-up call for me. Uh, one of the ways that we've uh, found a lot of our especially older students, are getting victory or streams, and they don't have to use a computer, and, um, you know, we're actually managing to teach people how to go through the, the category lists, and some of them even punch in numbers. The bottom line we're having is that these folks don't have computers, have to go find uh, one of their kids or a friend or someone to do the initial email setup with BARD. I mean, because we can't get their victory or streams authorized to play BARD books unless they have a BARD account. And uh, when I first started in this job, I used, you know, half a dozen of my email accounts to set up things for people that didn't have email, and I've run out of those now, and I'm not sure what to do. Is there any possibilities that have ever been discussed uh, another way to sign up for BARD besides email, perhaps over the phone, or, or you know, some other way that that could be done? Oh, Judy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
this go ahead we are actually working on that and, awesome. and we do have a strategy unfortunately our um, IT guys are overwhelmed and so finding time for them to get around to actually implementing our plan is uh, been a little bit of a challenge but um, it, it will happen relatively soon especially when we go back and tell them people here were asking can, can you share what the plan would be um, it, it involves the regional library registering the person and and using a, a, a email account for each regional library. Okay, great, that'd be awesome. Yes, we, we have been looking at that for quite some time. We have been. Any other questions at this point? I have a question. Okay. It could mean either of those things, yeah, and <laughs> I. But we can check on that. I don't know. We upgraded, so we don't need it anymore. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, we do try to get time-sensitive things out as quickly as possible. Some more technical things sometimes require additional work uh, or, or particular narrators to get everything right, and. Um, so that collection development generally would, would make that decision. So I, that's not a very good answer. Do you, do you mind this format or we're just throwing questions at you from anything? Not at all. No, I was hoping that, that we would do that because okay. I, I, I made a list of questions in case nobody had anything to say. <laughs> not going to be a problem, I don't okay. know. Okay. Uh, I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to let Judy and then... Well, you know what? Around. We should let other people who haven't had a chance to do right. one. I thought you did one. I did. I did. So I'm willing right. to just right. give the floor to Ralph, for instance. If, 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 hey, Ralph. Because he has another. Let's do everybody get one before some of us get two. Uh, what, what's the percentage of uh, bars you know? Yes, about 15. It's been, it's been, and it's been yes, and it's been constant forever. Does, does that include people who use uh, Victory Reader Stream and stuff like that? You know, but, and so that that's like it counts them. People have barred accounts. It, it counts those people. So are we're, when we're looking at active barred users, not people who had an account once in a once in a blue moon, but active barred users, that's about where we're at. Well, can I ask you this question? If somebody 
signs up for Bard and then uses it on their victory stream for three years and doesn't ever actually go on the website. Do you still count them as active users? If they download stuff. Okay. It goes on the it goes on the download. It doesn't matter what it, the yeah, it doesn't okay. matter what the what the yeah. Can I have my question? Oh, did that person? Oh, oh, Judy? Okay, so my second, my second one goes to something you said this morning that I was interested in, which was, oh, I never can remember. I can't hear you. Intern, uh, the interconnect thing, the inter archive. Inter oh, Internet Archive. Yeah. Could yeah. you talk about that some? Sure. Internet Archive is an organization out of California whose goal initially was to archive the Internet so that everything that was ever posted on the Internet ever, ever, ever would be saved. Uh, that was their initial goal, and they do that. So if you want to know what your website looked like in 1987, you go there and look. Um, but they also have a lot of material that has been scanned and converted to formats that um, are theoretically usable. And for I don't know how many years, they have been using, for things that are in copyright, they have been using the NLS key in some way or another so that you could uh, technically use NLS equipment to read the DAISY formatted books that they, that they have. Um, it's my impression that this has not been particularly successful over the years, um, partly because I don't think they were completely clear on how things needed to I be done. I tried to use it. I couldn't make it work. <laughs> I, I couldn't use it. It was chicken ham. I it all the time, and it fine. Do you? It's, okay. Yeah, it's one, of the, it's one of the things that Brian and I talked about putting on the program for this year, and it will probably be on for next year. So here, so Internet Archive has some new people, and they're trying to get some big award. So, <laughs> you know, whatever it takes. So they, they have come to me, and they have said, what can we do to make this more successful and, and to be more user-friendly? And <coughs> they're working on doing that. Um, they're working on, on the format that they're using, they're working on some other aspects of it, and we are all working on something that would allow an NLS, a verified NLS user, BARD user, to go to the, um, to go, for instance, to Internet Archive's website and be validated through something that is called, I call it AAA. <laughs> It's authentication, authorization, and accounting is what the AAA stands for. But it's a server that we're building in order to allow a one login kind of thing. So you may have seen, for instance, log in into our site or log into your Facebook account. Um, sometimes you see that on websites. Or log into your Google account. Um, it's the same sort of thing, only this time it would say log into your NLS account, and then you'd be validated to use the Internet Archive materials um, we're, we're looking at that as well as um, another, so that's what that's about. They're, they're, they have millions of titles that are in the Internet Archive that, that, that would, you would have access to, and the fact that some of them are in copyright would be, you'd be able to get to them. There is another organization called the Hathi Trust, that's H-A-T-H-I Trust, all one word with capital T for trust, H-A-T-H-I who happened to be an elephant 
in, they call it hottie. It was an elephant in some Rudyard Kipling book. I don't know. Um, that's what he told me last time I talked to him. But anyhow, um, so we're looking at doing the same thing with them because at this point they're able to serve people who are blind or physically, you know, blah, blah, eligible for NLS services, but there's no mechanism for you to do it unless you belong to one of the universities that's part of the Hathi Trust. And there's like 125 universities and organizations, including the Library of Congress, that are actually members, and they have... have um, scanned and OCR'd um, a lot of university library materials. So what they would have would be really nice for students who weren't at these universities, where they would be good for you know instructors and researchers and that sort of thing. It's not the, the ordinary day in and day out Daniel Steele sort of thing. Um, but I think it would have some real validity for, for the people who are working, people who are are in academia, so so we're we're pursuing that, but they're very conscious of the copyright issues, and it, that will take some time to get worked out. But those are the two things that we were we were looking at doing. Oh, where are you searching? What What are you using Bart. to search? Using Bart. The 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 computer. Uh, actually, they can read your screen most of the time. Well, uh, therein lies the rub. I think that the API doesn't sort music out. The 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 one that the the Victor uses, the one that um, we use for the a uh, apps, either yeah, on on the computer, it does sort it out, but it doesn't on the. So that's something that we. Have heard about, have we? <laughs> haven't we, Judy? Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually, I've actually complained about it, and they've told me uh, stop. <laughs> well, more or less. <laughs> more or less, but. And I would take the opposite view. Okay. I actually, I actually like seeing the music stuff. Um, it, 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 it is really very refreshing <laughs> to be able to download some albums. And, and granted, some of the albums are, are, in, are in my area of interest, which is folk music. Um, but it's, it, it is really refreshing to be able to download an album with full liner notes. I don't because I don't that's what we don't get. I don't disagree with that part of things. But these things tend to be um, uploaded en masse. Well, and, and that's, and, and that's language books. Yes. But that's, a som that's something that we have talked about as far as the mass part. And they agreed music section agreed to take steps to um, trickle their stuff in and not, you know, one day you'd have 200 titles of music and it was very difficult to go find anything else. Um, that's been working better uh, than it had been, but you know, it's, these things take time. Believe me, I'll be reminding the new head of the music section um, about this. Yeah. 
which we do have a new head of the music section coming in in July. This is July. He retired last, last August. August. <laughs> <laughs> so that, I mean, that is part of the problem, and, and we haven't had a head of music, and it's, it is what it is. May I ask you a second question? Yes, you may. Thank you. Uh, could you go into a little bit of an explanation as to uh, what book is part of the old catalog gets put onto digital okay. format, how that works, uh, why some days we have zero, Well, two copies on cassette, read by the same reader. Hmm. Well, first of all, we have contractors who are doing the conversion. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> we have contractors who are doing the conversion, and the contractors are apparently batching their uploads, um, and that's why you will see a whole boatload of books a lot of times they're all kind of in like the these are the 3500s or or the yeah. 5200s or whatever um and and that's why you have bunches of them and then there are some days when they just don't send anything in um sometimes those are weekend days and sometimes they're not and once in a while the system is getting re rejuvenated in some way or another and they aren't accepted but primarily to answer the overall question, the contractors are getting done with the bar with the A to D conversions for, for all of the cassettes. I think that we only left out things that were so hopelessly outdated, like diabetes manuals and some of the kinds of things that were, were actually not. Um, they shouldn't be brought forward because they're no longer applicable. Well, <laughs> apparently we forgot that that was kind of stupid. <laughs> yeah, well. There's also books that had technical problems. Yeah, there were some that we didn't have the that the that the we had master tapes and they just they failed or there were other technical issues with them. If they are something like Stephen King in the dead in the dead zone and we don't have that, we would probably put it on a. Uh, we'd look for it on a backlist. This is the sort of thing we might pick up from recorded books. It might be something we would re-record. Um, or it might just not have got done yet. I don't know. But there were some with technical difficulties. It just, they... Not and do you plan on doing very many more of the uh, recorded discs to uh, digital? We have not decided how, what to do about the discs yet. The The... All of those were done under very specific copyright permissions, and some of that, the lawyers think some of that gets in the way, so we're going to have to consider how to handle those. It's also a completely different process for, for uh, digitizing them, and we'll have to use different resources, so they're not, I don't know at this point that, that how, what we will do about that. Well, then you get to ask it. If there's somebody who hasn't asked a question yet, speak up. Um, when the website.
is changed over next week, are we still going to be able to access the the um, railroad reviews and walking up topics from yes. uh, a few years back? Yes, you will. And also the old website will be running for probably three or four months in, in tandem with the new one just to make sure we don't have any glitches. But, yes, you will be able to. Is there someone that we can contact if we want to know about the status of a book, when it will be available, if it will be available? And I, I, before you answer, I was encouraged to go to the local library, and I could not find anything out about a book except that it's been purchased. And that was several months ago, and as far as I know, it's still not in process. It's not in process in the catalog? No, it's not. I checked it out, and it's, it's part of a series, and everything else has become available. And I've read those, and I'm waiting for this next book. So the, you were told that it was purchased by the network library I or by us? <coughs> and the lady called me back and said the book was purchased. And this was might have, might have been at the end of last year. And I keep checking. Well, probably purchased by NLS. Well, well, purchased by NLS. Right, right. But she must have actually contacted NLS she to did. find that out. She did, but I mean, I'm, I don't know whatever happened with that book. Donna, were you just using BAR to look it up, or were you using the, the actual catalog? The actual catalog. So, so you get in process titles? Uh, yeah, but it, it's I keep checking it, and it says that there's nothing that matches your query. Why don't you contact me, and I'll look into it for you. All right, I'll have to get your email address. <coughs> Thanks, Judy. State recording. The, some of them aren't. Well, if they're not on Bard, they won't show up on Bard. And if, there's a lot of stuff in the main catalog that's still cassette, I think. So. They, they show up in the main catalog because they're part. The library has added the record, even though NLS doesn't actually hold the book. Right. And th there are some books produced by regional libraries that NLS does hold the book, and that that would be in Bard. Or the one, the ones that they, they've uploaded to Bar, the, right. the regional libraries have done. Yeah. Sometimes things take longer than we wish they did, but check check with Judy on that. Do we have another first time question in the back? No. No. Okay. Um, I was, this is Joan Badger. I was wondering um, about some of the titles that used to be on the old records that aren't available yet. Um, there were some books that I actually managed to track them down and got hold of the, <laughs> believe it or not, original records and, and listen to them that way because I've still got the old equipment. And um, I was just wondering if some of that is going to be uh, gradually uh, transferred over to, um, you know, barter or bigger new collections. Well, and again, as um, resources become available for that, that kind of migration and as we get clarity on the copyright issues with regard to the, that. Um, it gets complicated. Our lawyers are telling us that if the copyright exception at that time was, I, I don't understand it, frankly. It was a little complicated. I understand that, but they were recorded at a time when we had to ask for copyright permission before Chafee. And, and, and so it's, it's uh, 
a little bit murky. So the answer again is I don't know. Um, I don't know if and or when we will be moving those books forward to, to digital. Karen? Yes. Um, I haven't really considered it particularly. Um, well, we had a specific purpose for that one. I'm, I'm okay. And it served well, it by the way. It did. It's wonderful. It was awesome. um, it, but we haven't really looked into doing another one at this point. <coughs> Once we... Okay, I will do that. I will do that. This is not a question. I'm cheating. Uh, if somebody really does want to know, is my book in series, and can I, could, is there somebody, I, there is, and I know, I just figure people in this room might not know where to send a, an email inquiry. Or That's what I was wondering. Thanks, you're my good friend. <laughs> <laughs> so we send it to you? No, we send it to you, or no? Don't? send it to me. Send I mean, it to yeah. I, I, can, I mean, you can send it to him, but, but you know, it, it's okay, fun. So, so jjx at lmc.gov, that's, that's you. That's me. Okay. Judy will track it down. It's what's the address? J-D-I-X. L-O-C for Library of Dixon. Congress. Again, unless consumer relations officer, I am there to help you. <laughs> <laughs> she is the government. She is there to help. <laughs> Look I am out. There, I am there to help you. <laughs> <laughs> I've always found that if I had a question about a book, I would write to you, and you, in fact, did forward it where it needed to go. Thank you. And sometimes it doesn't go to collection development. I mean, there things get stuck in production control. Yeah, yeah. Things get stuck. We just tracked down some books that had gotten uh, stuck in quality assurance. I would love to see the rest of us. I'll do it. <laughs> I, I've written Let a couple of times to Igor, and I wondered if he'd <laughs> retired because he doesn't respond. He's still there. Okay. I just ha we have to Maybe he's just tired of many series get filled. <laughs> yeah. in, many series get filled in by bookshare. Well, yeah, and that's also that's why we're looking at at uh, at this recorded books contract yes. Yes. to, to catch some thing. of those. One of the things that you mentioned on the floor that Sorry. I keep trying to wrap my head around my strong feelings on it is the issue of synthetic Hold on. Oh, come on. I'm, if I give, a, if I want to find a book, the first place I look is NLS. Okay. Yep. Because of the quality yep. of the material. And if I can't find it there, then I start going elsewhere. Yep. And I question whether or not I'll go to Learning Ally or Bookshare, depending on whether or not it's technical in nature or not. Mm -hmm. If it's technical, I tend to be fine with it in e-text with a synthetic voice. Not so technical. So then I tend to so like a I human narrator. So I did learn about the DOS operating system by way of that back in the day. Not the DOS operating system, <laughs> the DOS yes. operating system. Yes. It's, it's the same thing, but it's pronounced by somebody who doesn't know what they're reading. <laughs> and also, to add to what Brian is saying, I think that was Brian. Yep. Um, you had mentioned cookbooks this morning, and I have actually found that sometimes in e-text cookbooks, it says, words kind of funny or measurements kind of funny and I'm going okay what did they really mean there? so it's it, I don't even think it's good for cookbooks oh, I think it has it has its issues 
Yeah. And part of its issues is when you're using synthetic speech to narrate something, it really needs to use a different set of rules yeah. than what, what it would be if you were composing something in words. Because it's not, there's no sentences in that, in that kind of, I should say nonsense. The, the number of ways you can say half a teaspoon but what, but what about the parts of the books where they say this part has been omitted? Exactly. Well, what they're really it. saying is it was too big, of, it was too much of a pain in the neck to do this. So we, you know, we thought it was too expensive and too time consuming, too resource intensive to do it. Yeah. I mean, would you rather have source notes in synthetic speech or not at all? Exactly. And let's face it. Uh, I have millions of books that I read on Kindle because my friends wrote them and I couldn't get them any other way. Right. right. Well, no, I'm sorry. There are mi I meant millions of books on Kindle and, I, and I've read She's 20 very prolific by my friends. friends. Oh, but I couldn't have gotten them <coughs> any other way. Well, I think another of the problems is, well, is that if people are reading books on the screen, they sometimes it's don't change the settings from um, UEV to UEAE. Well, I think there are a number of issues. I think that with regard to whether or not a given item is acceptable, now I'm not going to even use the word acceptable because probably everybody in this room has read a book in synthetic speech um, because you needed to read the book or you wanted to read the book and that was the resource that you had. Uh, you're, well. <laughs> Um, if you have, you understand the drawbacks to synthetic speech, and they have to do not only with the um, execution of the, you know, the elocution, whatever, but they also have to do with pronunciation of things. Um, whenever I read something on my Braille note, for instance, it always says drive for doctor, and it, <laughs> it says street, and it says, sa you know, and so I was reading something that said, it had abbreviated Wednesday, and so it called it WED, and it made no sense. Um, or except the other way around, that where it called it Wednesday when it meant to say WED. Um, and some of that stuff can be sorted out. But the issue is, in my mind, there are two things. One of them is there is text-to-speech engines, which will do whatever they can do, and you get whatever you get. I was getting a, got a travel book about Switzerland and all the French words were completely massacred. Um, the rest of it was not too bad. But, but so there's, there's the text-to-speech where you just throw it at the text-to-speech engine and it converts it however willy-nilly and you get what you got. Um, there's big issues with that. There are people, including myself, who are willing to put up with those issues in order to get access to the material. There's another way that c it can be done. <coughs> and that is to clean it up and teach the speech engine all the right ways to say everything for a for given title and then to, um, you know, proof it and make sure that it's right. And I don't really know whether you'd end up saving a darn thing by going right. through that yeah, process. Um, but that that's where the quality piece comes in. For one thing, um, if anybody has seen on the market, people buying for the privilege of listening to a text-to-speech book, you let me know, yeah. because I'm telling people that I'm not—I don't think they're out there. Um, 
So I think it's kind of a complicated issue because, and this is what the funders say, and this is what, you know, my funders say is, well, for heaven's sake, it's cheap. So why not do it this way? Texas speech sounds pretty good. Here, listen to this. Um, they aren't aware of the issues around it, and um, depending on how it's produced, you know, if I have a text-to-speech book on my Braille note and I can't understand a word, I can look at it, in, I can look at the spelling of it, and I can at least figure out what it is. <coughs> and if I can't stand it often enough, I'll change the pronunciation. I'm going to a place in Poland called W-R-O-C-L-A-W, which my computer says Roklaw. <laughs> But they would say Vraslov. So you see there are, you know, I mean, you could change that particular spelling to be pronounced in a sort of better way. But um, I'll tell you what would potentially be very helpful to me, and that is if this group were to put together a statement about text-to-speech, um, that might be something that would be very helpful for NLS because our funders are looking at it and saying, ah, why are you spending three thousand thirty-five hundred dollars to get it narrated when we could, you know, you could do it for fifty cents? Um, well, and that's that's my point. So, if this group were, for instance, to write a white paper about your experiences and your opinions of text-to-speech as a user group, that is something that could be used um, to protect our narrators uh, and our narration processes for the core part of our collection. Now, I, there is a limit to how big or how many books we can get narrated in a year, and that's a funding limit. <coughs> and I can envision a second tier of books that might be just EPUB books that you could put into your new digital talking book machine that has, has a decent speech text-to-speech engine in it, and if you wanted to read them that way, we, you would have the equipment to do that. That would be a second tier of books. It would not be the the first two, three thousand books that we do in a year, um, but it would expand the collection in ways that we can't do now. So that's kind of the way I see text to speech being used in the program. But um, this summer we are doing a text to speech pilot where we are asking people to listen to books on, that are done in text-to-speech and give us their feedback. But again, if this group wants to make a statement about it, I'd be happy to see it. There was a, um, this was another group of Bard, it's more, more on the line of like NFB Newsline and that kind of thing, but you know, reading a recipe and, and it says like two Cuban pesos of sugar and I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> is a Cuban peso and I had to go back and spell it. Right. It must be the so way that I, I think that Lula would be more than interested in taking on yes. the idea of a white yeah. paper yes. on the subject. So, uh, and I think that there are a number of issues here. It's not a yes/no kind of question no. for any of us. But trying to explain the the difference between things that will be our challenge to take on. Uh, to do yeah. it. The other thing I would say to, to, to the group, maybe, is is we are at an interesting crossroads in the development of synthetic speech, it seems to me. Um, it, voice Dream has a number of voices yeah. that, are, that, are, that are considerably better than, than any that have been around or that are, that are typically used. Um, in, uh, though Sharon is, is available in the 
stream, but that are typically used in, in, in devices that are widely available to blind users. And it makes a huge difference um, in terms of reading if you're using voices like those. Um, but more than that, with, with Alexa and now Google Home out there and the, and the potential for home, whatever it's going to be called, by um, with, with Siri's cousin um, coming out in December, I, I, I think we're at a place where the likelihood of there, there being some immense progress made in speech synthesis is there. And, and I wouldn't want to see NLS or us um, do, do anything that would foreclose the future. Exactly. I would agree with that. I, th I think that it's, it's not as simple yes or no as, as Brian said. Would, would NLS be producing uh, books and circulating text to patrons, or would you be taking, you know, creating an audio uh, recording of text to speech and circulating that to patrons? The reason I ask that, I can see, event, I mean, I love, and some books I will download from Bookshare if I want to be able to search them right. on my Victory or Stream. The, the back side of that is that as these voices try and get more human like, uh, for example, the voices in the stream, uh, every two-state abbreviation is now said as a word. So right. every morning I read the Louisiana Times about the, mm. the Louisiana school board, and I <laughs> yeah. look which state I'm in, and, and I, I start looking at South Dakota right. cards and that sort of thing. So yeah. I'm just curious what you're thinking there. And the South Dakota runs the, the uh, superintendent of documents. The stream reads it as the South Dakota who runs the government printing office. <laughs> <laughs> Though, yeah, those, that, that's an excellent question. The pilot that we are doing this summer, we are actually converting the, the books into a, a daisy or a NLS format that is text-to-speech. So, But we're not cleaning them up, as I understand it. And we're, we're using Kendra and Joey and Sally. Ooh. And who's so, participating in this? Uh, four states. Four states. I can't remember either. Um, so, so I think you've got two different issues. When and what we might, we don't know the answer to your question, but I think we would probably go to an EPUB three format, uh, encrypted text format, so that um, in because if we put a text to speech engine in the talking book machine. For example, that would make them accessible in that format, and potentially you could actually, you know, spell the things that got really screwed up. Um, because I don't know, I know it's taken Phil quite a long time to convert those hundred books to to um, audio, and they're not even going through and doing a fine tooth comb cleanup on them. So, um. you know, can I try to? Our time is running out, and I bet people would love to hear about refreshable Braille. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Ah, well, that was the next thing on my list. Um, speaking of Braille, um, as I mentioned this morning, we are <coughs> going to be producing, we're going to include refreshable Braille devices in the NLS program. That is something that is actually coming to fruition. Um, we are doing this pilot with Perkins this starting in August. Um, Perkins is purchasing the Orbit readers and will be piloting with 200 Orbit readers and maybe more than that, uh, uh, at least 200 patrons. Um, asking a lot of questions. Judy's working very closely with, with uh, Kim and her staff on that. 
we have a lot of things to find out. Um, but one of the some of the questions that I would ask you is if you are users of refreshable <coughs> oh, sorry this cold if you are users of refreshable braille um, for instance we're looking at a 20 cell display we I know that that is not ideal and it's not that big but it is within the price range that I think we can manage um, that I I know I have read on a on 20, 18 and 20 cell displays and you just have to keep hitting the advance bar all the time, which is kind of tedious. But um, I would be interested to know if people prefer thumb keys or the keys on the side of the display, for example. I would be interested to know what you think would be absolutely critical features of a refreshable Braille device. I prefer, um, you know, thumb keys. I, I have a Braille note and a Braille sense. Uh, the only time I like the top of my display is when I'm speaking in public and holding a mic in one hand and my braille device in the other hand. Other than that, I, I prefer the thumb keys. I think the one thing that I have that is a, a problem for me when I read um, books from Bard on my braille device is that they're formatted for a, what is it, 40 um, some odd character line. Yeah. And if I'm reading on my 32 cell display and it's doing word wrap, then what I end up with often is a line of braille and then a line with two words and, and then another line of braille. And I'm not sure how you could get around that and then maybe you'd have to reformat books for whatever well, we, size. We are doing that. Oh, you are? We are, we are going to make them flow. You can actually do it on your braille note too, but we are going to. Um, you go into the, you load it as a BRF and then it asks you if you want to look at the, at the um, uh, settings. And you go in there and you tell it paragraph instead of line yep. and paragraph. And you can also It'll mess up the table of contents and a few other things, but it will wrap the words, yeah. Yeah, you can, you can also do it with the Braille sense. But in Bard Mobile 1.2, we're going to have a Braille reflow feature. Good. Um, and you'll, you'll tell it what length of Braille display you have. Oh, cool. Yeah, that'll be definitely cool. good. So there's a number of things about new machines that matter to me and I guess the number one thing is when NLS designs a device like a Braille device uh, or for that matter the next talking book machine whatever it might be is whether or not it's a machine that is by legal requirements limited to only take into consideration material produced by NLS or whether or not there's a uh, like I said I'm looking for a there's not a book share has a huge collection right I'd like to read on one device rather than having my NLS device in this pocket and my book share device in that pocket um, <coughs> there's <coughs> there's no legal requirement that it couldn't do something other than in fact if you get your talking book machine there's a whole bunch of formats that it'll read um, which are not NLS produced um, I think the thing about the Braille device that we're looking at is not so much is it an NLS format or not, but it, it, is it a standard format? The, we add, if we add formats, then we're looking at adding, um, adding cost, and we're also looking at you know what it, what it, who's going to use it. One thing that I want to do very badly with Braille is to put it into an EPUB 3 style format so that you could search it and you could navigate it the way you can navigate a talking book machine. I mean, a talking book, not a machine. Um, 
rather than the flat BRF files that we do now, which, as we all know who read them, you've got to be a pretty sophisticated um, user to figure out how to jump to Chapter 7 um, yes. or whatever. So, um, no, there's no requirement that says that it couldn't be more than one, one format. We can um, do whatever makes sense. So, from my perspective, uh, we're called Library Users of America. We're not called National Library Service Library Users of America. Right. So, our, naturally, our interest is in access to the written word, wherever the source is that we can get the material. And uh, at least I, for one, feel strongly that we want NLS to help us make that happen without it breaking the bank. And I understand that if it added 50 cents to the cost of the unit, I'd say, pretty well doing. If it adds double the cost of the unit, then I can certainly understand why that would give people pause in, in doing that. I don't think it is, though, uh, that level of magnitude. No, I, difference. Do other, how do other people I, I don't think that the level of magnitude is huge either. Um, you know, we're, we're not looking two things we're not looking at competing with what's on the market now um, we're looking at providing a fairly low-end device we are not going to design it ourselves exactly we are going to go out for commercial bids based on specs that we're putting not even specs but requirements that we're putting into it so um, so we will definitely look at that should it play an HTML file should it play a word file should it play a um, you know, I don't think initially that it's going to have, and I, that I, this might change, but I don't see initially that it's even going to have a translator in it, but I'm not sure. And, and that would be a, a cost issue? Probably not if you lose a little buoy or something. I don't know. Um, it, these are just decisions that haven't been made. So one thing that Lua members need to understand is that uh, through ACB appointing people, to say that on the conference call uh, that I was last on, where I mentioned this issue of the value of being able to access more than just NLS products using an NLS player, that the engineering staff got really twirly on me in that, in that conversation, seemed very uncomfortable with the idea uh, of doing that. I, don't, I didn't understand the why of it, because there were a lot of other things on the agenda to get on to. I didn't, didn't pursue it anymore there. But it is one of those things that I think library users of America have traditionally said we want access to libraries, uh, and we mean all of them, and as many sources as we can get our hands on. So I think generally speaking, uh, that's the way we tend to link. Okay, that's well taken. Thank you. Other questions? Um, I was wondering if, uh, this is Joe Bellington, by the way, I was wondering if if when sometimes I get books that are in the middle of a series, um, I suppose uh, is available. Uh, is there any way of avoiding that? Or <laughs> um, it depends on how you're getting your books. Um, well, are you selecting them? Um, yeah. 
with with yeah, um, talking book topics or putting in requests or something. Yeah. And you're not getting them in order, is that the issue? No. Um, you need to talk with your, ne with your network library about that. The, if, if, they're, if, if they're on your request list, then your network library software is likely, when, when it's time to send you another book, to go to the bottom of your request list to pick the oldest book that's on there and send it to you without any regard to any series. Um, and that is what's probably happening. You might have ordered that book and it was in the middle of a series and you might have ordered the first one later or maybe you never knew that there was a first one. Do you know how to look up series on BART? I'm, I'm, I'm learning how to do it. Um, if you get BART Express, um, it makes series even easier, but you can look up series on BART um, and and get them in order. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm learning how to do it with the Apple computer, and also I've, I've got Victor's thing, which <laughs> everything's just a real learning curve. It, it, there's a lot to learn, <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, but as long as you're just getting the books mailed to you from the library, it's likely that you will not get them in order. Mm -hmm. My friend told me about a site called Book Series in Order. I've never used it. A website. You can also get that on yeah. Wikipedia. Look up the author. We're getting, um, we're, yeah, and we're getting as many of ours uh, listed at, in in series order as we can, um, because we know it's really important. We're also doing <coughs> some of the series in um, multiple books on a cartridge, in terms of, um, you know, just putting like five books of a series on a cartridge with the first level of navigation being the book and then the next level being chapters so that you just can read straight through them. I mean, some people like to do that. Um, and that seems to be going over pretty well. Kind of the equivalent of binge viewing. Yeah, yeah very much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some well, we're at the point in the program where it says break and I want to give Karen a break. It's been so nice to have you here. Well, thank you. It has been my pleasure. It's always fun to talk to people who love books. All right, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for break. And that does not mean, okay, great way for me to get out of here before the next thing happens. I think you will very much enjoy hearing from Lainey Feingold and the process that she's gone through in publishing her book on structured negotiation. Um, while it is a legal book, the whole process of taking something from an idea and getting it out there and some of the decisions she made in that process will be very, very interesting to hear, I think. Uh, she is driving here. I gave her the tower, the floor, and the room number, so I'm expecting her to be pretty much here on time. She certainly was uh, expecting to, to be. Ralph, you in the back of the room? Yes, sir. You know, it would be really great if anybody who wants to be a member of Lua who isn't currently a member of Lua could hit up Ralph, and maybe he would take down those names. <laughs> is that possible, Ralph? Yes, sir, it is. Yes, sir, it is. So anybody who's interested in renewing their membership, now there was a couple here who said, why would you join Lua? Right? What's you should kind now know the answer. That was part of the question. 
that part of the question. So I'm, I'm going to just kind of chit-chat about that as we take this break right now. And that is that Lua provides a newsletter called the Lua Ledger that goes out three to four times a year. Well, the editor of the Lua Ledger right over there, say hello, Paul. Hello, Paul. Um, it, it assures me that uh, that will continue to improve. We, so we put out that newsletter. We also hold Library Without Walls teleconference calls. Again, that's a service that uh, Paul leads. Uh, and it, it's proven to be quite popular. I think, uh, I think we've held seven in the last year. Um, Do you have a number for that, Paul? Well, it'll, it'll buy, it should be in the newspaper. Um, yeah, we, Lua is a pearl sponsor of the convention and helps underwrite the cost of bringing the NLS narrator the to the convention. Wednesday of every other month yeah. um, at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And the number um, has actually just been changed. And I don't know the new number, so I'm going to give yeah, you... Yeah, anybody the who's been using the system should know that they're changing the numbers. So the, the number is 712-432-1500. Oh, yeah, you um, well, what I, what if you I call that I number, it's going to give you the alternate. Going to be. Exactly. And, exactly. And the code is Lua call. L U A C A L L. So, yeah, so 582 2255. There you go. sort of question people so it gets to be it gets to be fun and what we do afterwards is we also publish a, a list of all of the books that are discussed under each topic and send it out on our little list so it gives it gives people lots of lots of new notions of what they might wish to read we don't do minutes though I'm not prepared to do that yet so one of the other values of Lua is the same thing as a value of being a member of ACB, and that is that a collective voice is stronger than single voices. Uh, you as an individual, no matter what hours in the day Karen might want to work, probably would have had a hard time having that one-on-one -on -one with her uh, to, to explain to her your concerns, et cetera, et cetera. With Lua, we have that collective voice. We have members on the development committee, the technology committee, uh, and I think there's two or three others that our Lua representatives speak on our behalf. And they don't just speak because, gee, he knows so much about that or she knows so much about that. We encourage our representatives <coughs> to ask members for input before they go to those meetings. Right. And Lua was invited to be a part of the Braille Summit. Absolutely. <coughs> And uh, we will be hearing during our business meeting from our representative to the collection committee, uh, Sharon Glass. Um, and she, Susan, I always get the first name wrong. On my, on my contact list, it says S. Glass. So it's always a guest game for me. But anyway, the. And, the and, I, also, and also Ralph. And also Ralph. What committee do you sit on, Ralph? Uh, the Archives. Which is briefhand for what? Uh, 
That, which is the one that I'm on as well. So, nonetheless, the idea here is um, we try to reach out and find out what, what kind of issues members are having that we can incorporate in our meetings in those advisory groups. And one of the things about the advisory groups is they write up a list of recommendations, they submit them to NLS, and NLS responds to those recommendations. Sometimes, like my concern about uh, dumping music titles to the point where on my Victor Reader stream I have to jump to um, item number 400 on recent ads before I start to browse through new titles on teasing. But it, it, it sometimes it does require that you jump quite a ways before you get out of them. Same thing for, for foreign language things. I don't want them not to be there. But, but nonetheless, those are the kinds of things that we try to have a collective voice in in having a positive impact on things. This is our public library. Brian, Mr. Judy, can I Go ahead, Judy. quick? Yep. If during the break I could make a plea to any Californians in the room, you can, of course, join Lua, but if you come and talk to me uh, and pay a little more money, you can be a member of Kalua and Lua both. So <laughs> I, wish Cal I hope Californians will consider coming and speaking with me. I'm here at the head table. There you go. And we also have an affiliate in Kentucky and an affiliate in Texas. So if you're in either of those states, talk to us as well. Okay, so we're going to take a break now until 45 minutes after the hour. I think we're getting close to that already. Yeah, we should do it a little longer. Maybe. Yeah, let's give it 10 minutes, okay? 10 minutes, and then we'll see whether Lainey has gotten lost in the West Tower. If she is, yeah, we could go ahead and put our business meeting. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Yeah, hello, how much does it cost to be on our floor? 20 bucks. You get to take cash right now? I certainly do. And I've got a thing to write your name down right here. Well, I've been wanting to do that for a while. Oh, I'm so delighted. Thank you so much. And now I'm doing it to to get into the menu. Okay, now do I need to get out my phone or are you sure that's a 20? <laughs> I trust you. Thank you, Warren. I wrote your name down. I'll turn it over to Vita. She'll be in touch. Thank you so much. you get, if you go down several elements before. Any other Californians? Steve Bauer, where are you? I'm right here. Hey, you Hold on, Then maybe you'll come and join Lua. I will do that, Judy. Thank you, Steve. And Judy, as a Californian, can I ask you a quick question? Who's that? I'm Jeannie Johnson. Of course you can. I'm not a Californian. But you can certainly ask her. Many, 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 many years ago, when I was in 1965, I went to school at the California School for the Blind in Yeah. And I made a dear friend. Uh, yeah. She and I lost contact. Yeah. Have you ever heard of a lady no, named Sharon Marsh? No. When you get this, well, I'm not sure if you were sure. I'm sorry. I thought maybe you knew. No, I, I, I just don't know the name. I know she lived in Northern California. I've never seen her on any of our lists either. So why don't you move to California? You would be a good asset. Now, is Nashville the place where any 
Remember this water just outside? Oh, my water glass. That's what jazz radio. Yeah, I'm going to be 
Busy, 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 I gotta tell you. It's wonderful. I mean, it's really um, heartening. Uh, I had something to do with I'd like to Over by the door. Yes, I'm, I'm here by the door. Well, I'm not leaving the door. Well, he's talking. Just look for the guy with the cowboy hat. That's it. <laughs> he's got a fabulous. I'm not going to go kill around. Did, 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 did he nearly left in the ball? Oh, my. We're going to get back to it in two minutes. Two minutes. <laughs> now, Ralph says somebody's coming to pay you due, so quit talking. This is a separate affiliate, Terry. We have to pay twelve dollars per person. Okay, Ralph. Yes. Okay. You know, I'm not sure if I did pay you. It's twelve. Well, I guess no. I would have less. I don't remember. Like a Tennessee Council. Okay, that's that's you know we're a special interest. Well, I'm trying to get straight because. If people can find their way back to their seats, I'd appreciate it. I guess I didn't pay you. Do you have a list of those who did? No, we don't. Uh, Not here. We expected our treasurer to be here, and unfortunately, his wife got sick. And so we didn't well, pay. I'm sure I didn't pay this year, so I can. Carla not here this year? Correct. Neither Carla nor, oh. nor Adam. Nor Adam. That's, that's really Who's our treasurer? Do you have change for a 20? I just went out of change. Oh. I'm, I'm really, you want to pay for some? I'm really prepared. All right. What about <laughs> if I give you 15? Would that work? Would you be able to change that? Couple of membership. I don't have. I, I don't think I do. But I will look. Wait a minute. Is he? Wait, uh, I might have change for a one. I might have change for five. Bro. I've got five ones here, Ralph. Do you have a five? I've got ones here too. I gave her 15 and 
gives him two bells and he gives her three. <laughs> and he wrote her name down. Well, I have ones at home. I took them out of my wallet because this wallet keeps busy. Donna, D-O-N-N-A, Siren, S-I-R-E-N. Do you need the address? Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I'm still working at the Carroll Center. 32 years and counting. Delmar Boulevard, that's D-E-L-M-A-R. 32 years. I never thought I'd ever say such a thing. St. Louis, Missouri, 63112. There's a lot of people, you know, they, they may have worked for 32 years, but they haven't worked for 32 years for the same employer. I taught for 28 years for the same institution. Yeah, so you know what I mean. But did you think that when I started, in your first couple of years? You know, the real truth is I hope so, because I didn't want to have to find another teaching job. <laughs> <laughs> well, Judy, I thought your student was wonderful yesterday. That was so nice. Wasn't oh, that? I was so touched and so surprised. That was Susan, so funny. Oh, wasn't that wonderful what Susan and you know, she every time I've ever met Susan, she has she has spoken about me often in over the years, and she's been amazingly generous. And I'm 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 you know it makes all the 28 years worth it to hear one comment like that. You're absolutely right. I, you know, I I've had a couple like that. Is I don't get them as often because because I was the bad guy who was in charge of services for students with disabilities, yeah. but. You know, there, there are a few kids who will literally get up and say, you know, that with, with, without this person, I never would have dot, 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 dot. And, yeah. and it is so cool. And it is, it is. I'll show you how you never know whose life you're going to influence. It's right. So we're going to move on to the program, but because these two were talking reminiscing stories, my favorite of those from in my life was I got a letter from a person who had just received her tenured professorship in computer science and um, she had her PhD and all that kind of stuff and uh, I was her first computer teacher back when she was 13 wow. and she was just saying you know you set my feet on the right road and now look what's look what's happened and that that makes up for all <laughs> all the shall we say less than successful moments over time well, ladies and gentlemen, we are privileged to have another speaker this afternoon. This time, it's a good friend of mine who uh, I've worked with on a number of different issues over the years. Um, occasionally, she finds her way to Massachusetts. Her uh, daughter's been going to school there. Um, also, family members here and there, I, I understand. And uh, she's one of those Berkeleyites these days. Um, so I don't get to see her as often as I would like to. In fact, the last time she saw me, I think I was on a, in a wheelchair on my way to the hospital at the CSUN conference. Um, but nonetheless, she is a name known well by AC Beers uh, for good reason. Uh, when you go out and use that accessible ATM, you should think Laney Feingold. If you're a fan of baseball, and you see it being a more accessible thing online than ever before, you should be thinking, Laney. If we're talking about um, prescription labels in accessible format, you should be thinking, Laney. Um, 
and I think of Weight Watchers. Wait a minute, I don't think of Weight Watchers. Um, so nonetheless, please welcome to the podium, Lainey Feingold. Thank you, Lainey. Okay, well, it's fun. Oops, Brian's taller than me. Hold on, I have to move the microphone down. <laughs> Okay, so it's fun to be at the ACB convention where I haven't been since a long time. I tried to go through my files and figure out which was the first one. I think the first one I ever went to was maybe 2002. I definitely remember being in Kentucky because it was my first time in Kentucky and I ate fried chicken because I thought it was appropriate. So, um, yeah, so we have a small group. I'd much rather have a conversation than uh, have a talk at you. And I'm just remembering as I start that I just pulled into town and I forgot to bring my watch. So, Brian, can you give me a five minutes? No, yeah, maybe a five and a ten. Um, so let me just say a few things, and then let's have a conversation about books and library users and publishing. So um, does everybody know what structured negotiation is? Yes. Okay. So structured negotiation is a way that, uh, thanks to working with ACB and the affiliates since 1995, is the way I've been practicing law. So uh, structured negotiation started when Steve Mendelson called a friend of his who knew me and said, you know, there's not a single ATM in the country I can use. Do you think we could file a lawsuit because we have the ADA now and ATM should be accessible? And we decided, and this is a story I tell in the book, that, well, let's try writing to the banks instead of uh, instead of filing a lawsuit. So we wrote letters to B of A, Wells Fargo, and Citibank. And then four years later, we had talking ATMs. We had the very first web accessibility agreement in the United States with Bank of America about their online banking. We had Braille and large print and audio statements at the time. It was We started out with audio tapes when I first got involved with this. Um, and so we said, like, wow, maybe that wasn't just luck. You know, maybe... Maybe we achieved all those things uh, in part because we didn't file a lawsuit and because we were able to have a relationship with the banks. So uh, we decided to name the thing. We called it structured negotiation because we said we didn't want it to be some weak little, oh, it's not a lawsuit. They're just, like, scared to file a lawsuit, so they're negotiating. We wanted to give it a name that honored that it had structure and was a process. So we named it in 1999 and used it ever since. Tomorrow in the main session, I'll talk about some of the cases. But here, I want to talk about writing the book um, until we get to questions. If you have any, I'll answer. So I think Linda Dardarian, whose greetings I send, she is throughout the book, and she has been my partner in almost all the work I've done uh, with ACB and the affiliates and the members across the country. Um, so Linda says, I always wanted to write the book, ever since 1999 when we decided to name it and said it was a thing. And I don't know if I always wanted to write a book, but uh, I will say my husband has written five books. Now, I'm not saying we're competitive in our family, but it is like a thing in our family that we do, and I only have this one story. And it's a good story. I really wanted to share not just the process, but... Our issues 
talking ATMs, accessible websites, talking prescription labels. People don't know them. And I wanted to write a book about the process that would get the issues into the hands of more people than would otherwise be exposed to the issues. So um, I date the writing of the book back to 2009. It was published in 2016. In 2009, I went to New York. My daughter lived there at the time. And I took time to see if I could write one chapter. And I went to a coffee shop that I loved, and I listened to music that I loved, and I realized, yeah, I want to write this. And it's funny, because the chapter I wrote ended up being the last chapter in the book, uh, which is about the mindset you need to be able to negotiate without a lawsuit. And the mindset, which includes things like patience and optimism and persistence, really are character traits that ACB and its members have exhibited throughout this process. When I sent the draft of the book to the publisher, getting ahead for a minute, they sent it to some lawyer on the East Coast. The publisher was the American Bar Association, and I'll tell you in a minute how that came about, um, which is the largest organization of lawyers in the country. To be honest with you, I was not even a member until I wrote this book and thought it would be a good place for publication. Um, anyway, so the, a the American Bar Association, which we call the ABA, they sent the book to a lawyer on the East Coast, and his comment was like, who are her clients? How does she convince people to be patient? And how does she convince people to be persistent? And I was like, in working with ACB and its members, uh, starting with the California Council of the Blind in the 90s, I never had to convince a client oh, you know, I know you want to fight hard and be unreasonable, but we should really be patient and kind. No, because that are, those are the traits that the ACB members had and brought to this process. So I wrote the book. I'm the lawyer. I kind of get credit for the process. But in fact, if it wasn't for ACB members and other blind people I've worked with over the last 20-plus years, the process wouldn't exist. I never had to convince any blind person, oh, this is a better way to go, because there's lots of good lawyers who do other strategies. And it's really important for me that people don't think of me as someone who does not like lawsuits, because lawsuits, especially in this day and age, can be a really important tool. They've really advanced disability rights in a lot of ways. Lawsuits are very important for the Americans with Disabilities Act. Structured negotiation is another tool, and because that's a tool I do, I'm attracted to clients who want to do that tool, and clients are attracted to me. So in the book, I had to come up with like a checklist how to talk to clients about a process that requires collaboration. But in fact, in my life, I haven't really had to do that because... I feel like it's been a natural fit with ACB and its members. So um, a couple things about the book, and then I'll turn it over for questions. Um, so I wrote the chapter in '09, and I decided I want to write the book, but I was kind of flailing around. I never wrote a book. I had, like, every scrap of paper from the ATM cases. We did about 20 structured negotiations with banks about banking issues. We did point-of-sale devices with uh, to make sure there were keypads so blind people wouldn't have to enter their PIN. We did about 12 of those, Target, CVS, Walmart. We did prescription label, accessible pedestrian signal, audio description with Cinemark. We did hospitals. Linda's done structured negotiation with Kaiser and Sutter. 
and we've other lawyers are using the process. So I was really struggling. And, you know, some of you, Paul, just said he might have a book in his computer somewhere. You know, it's hard when, especially you're at, you know, I'm 61, and it's been a lot of work. I'm not writing this book at the beginning of the career. It's, I'm writing it towards the end. And how do you organize it? And I just was kind of flailing around. I hired a writing coach who was kind of helpful, but not so much. Um, and then in June of 2013, I reread No Pity by Joe Shapiro. Have you guys all read that book? How many have read that book? Yeah, not too many have read it. I really recommend it. Um, Joe Shapiro, who's a, currently an NPR reporter, he wrote a book about how the ADA was passed. And the book, I think, came out in like 95. Um, but it's still in print, and it's still, I'm sure, on Bookshare and in the Talking Book Libraries. And it's a great book because it integrates the stories of the advocates who are responsible for the ADA into the history. And I was rereading all these disability rights books, trying to like motivate myself. And I read, I read No Pity, and I'm like, that's what's missing here. I need to talk to the blind people who were instrumental in all these successes, such as Brian with the baseball, as he mentioned, um, or Steve Mendelson with the ATM. So in June of 2013, I decided to interview as many people as I could who had participated in structured negotiation, all the advocates. <laughs> all the lawyers for the big companies who would talk to me, all the lawyers like myself who represent disabled people. So that gave me, partly gave me something to do, and it gave me a structure for the book, and I really had this goal of trying to tell stories. So then the next thing, that was in June of 2013. I did the first interview with Jerry Coons um, in his house in San Francisco because Jerry was really instrumental in the talking ATM. And he's a real, for those of you who know Jerry, he just knows everything about technology and he keeps wonderful records and he would send me the history of the talking book and the history of this or that. So I did the interviews um, and then I got really lucky because the American Bar Association has a national magazine. They did a story about me and Linda and structured negotiation. I've never been in the magazine, never subscribed to it. For some reason, they did the story, and a guy named Daniel Bowling saw the story. And Daniel Bowling, who's a mediator who wrote a book called Bringing Peace into the Room about how mediators need to practice uh, mindfulness and patience in order to be good mediators, he saw that article, and he said, I want to meet these two women who are doing ADA cases in such a collaborative way because he was a mediator and handling a lot of cases that were handled in different ways. So he, he and his partner came over for lunch, and I was just like all about structured negotiation. At the end of the lunch, I'm like, I'm trying to write a book about this. And uh, he said, well, I'm head of publications committee for the American Bar Association dispute resolution. So I guess that's to say a little bit of luck has to be involved. If Daniel had not seen that article, this book would not be here today. So he saw it. He took me under the wing. of. He took me under his wing. He became my mentor. I turned the book into him in the summer of 2015. He read it. He said, you got a really good book here. You got great. You're a good writer, blah, blah. Now go and rewrite it so more people will read it. And I rewrote that whole book in the following year because Daniel really felt the name of the book is Structured Negotiation, A Winning Alternative to Lawsuits. And my first version of it, which I hope will appear on my website over time, 
was deep into the stories of why we need talking prescription labels. And, you know, there's a great story, um, Anne Byrne, who lives in Chicago, and she was one of the blind people behind the Chicago bank cases. She went to school for the blind. Maybe some of you had this experience. When she was six, she was sent away for the week Monday through Friday, and took the train back to her family because it was too far. And during the week, both her parents were sighted, and they learned Braille so she could get letters confidentially, starting when she was six, and she would write back to her parents. So, you know, she told me this story. I got to know people so much better doing the interviews. I had a lot of stories like that. I wanted them in this book, and the book is still full of stories, and I know some people have read it in the room, and they can talk about that. Um, But it's not deep, deep stories. It's not, a, it's not a, what am I saying, oral history of blind people who've been involved in the process. That would be another book. I'd love to write that too. But thanks to Daniel, he said, you got to put the best thing, he said to me, like every sentence I had to take out of that first draft was like a pain to my heart. I'd be sitting there in my house going like, okay, delete. Of course, I saved it first, but I just didn't want to take out any particular story. And Daniel was like, the best way you can serve the blind community with this book is making a readable book that people are going to pick up who don't know anything about blindness, who are interested in solving problems without filing lawsuits. As it turns out, as I'm doing the speaking about the book, people are so interested in the ideas of accessible technology And I've done some of the presentations with blind people, and always people come up afterwards, oh, that was the best presentation. Because most lawyers, they don't don't really experience, well, they don't experience blind people, but even their relationship with the clients are kind of different than they are in structured negotiation, which gives clients a bigger seat. So um, I wrote the book. Another thing I wanted to share with you guys is that, so the book came out, Of course, I wanted the book to be in accessible format. The American Bar Association publishes books. They have a publishing department. They assured me that there would be an accessible version, and there is. It's EPUB 3 on their website. They sell it with the print version. But what I didn't clarify was that the accessible version had to come out at the same time as the print version. So the pub date for the book is August 2016, once I rewrote it and did that whole thing. But the accessible version wasn't ready in August 2016. And they're like, oh, yeah, we usually have the electronic version up three or four months later. And I'm like, having the electronic version isn't a convenience. It's like not having the book for people who can't read print. So I didn't announce it or do an official launch till October, but it's a good lesson for all authors that you ha- books need to be born accessible. I mean, you guys know, you're library users. So I've been trying to work on the a- with the ABA on that because until they had the accessible version, they also couldn't send it to Bookshare. And I wanted it on Bookshare when I announced the book's availability. And it is on Bookshare, and I'm happy to say they've had over... Well, two months ago when I checked, they had over like 120 downloads, so I'm happy about that. Um, And then the last thing I wanted to share before I open up for questions about book writing is book writing is only half of it. Book marketing is probably equally as important, and I have spent this year uh, book marketing starting with a book launch in Berkeley. Now, at the book, I brought a little souvenir of the book launch. The book launch was in... 
No, I didn't bring the cupcakes. Judy was there. The book launch was in October. So what I have brought is probably a little stale, but it's still fun, so I'm going to tell you in a minute. Um, so I did the book launch in Berkeley at the Ed Roberts Center, which is a disability campus for organizations in Berkeley. It's super accessible and bright, and they've got a big atrium kind of space. And all the desserts were related to the issues in the book. So I had these cakes decorated like talking ATMs and accessible pedestrian signals. And it was so fun. And it, for me personally, you know, it was such a mixture of all parts of my life, my family and the disability community and the blind community and frat, just everybody I knew. So being able to communicate the issues by cake was really fun. So another thing I did was I got Braille fortune cookies from the California School for the Blind. I don't know, do, are you guys all, do they have those all over the country? Or is, it's a great fundraiser for the School for the It's Blind. really good. I bought like 200 of them. So I brought the leftovers here for you guys. <laughs> they're probably stale, but they still have the Braille messages. Fortune. Yeah, they're fortune cookies with so Braille. Read the Braille yes, and they don't have them in standard print, which is really good because they're like a teaching, they're like a teaching tool because it's not like, most things in print come with Braille or electronic version attached to it. No, people have to ask for it. So, I know. Well, I hope you guys are each going to take some. I, I think I might have like 85 left out of the 200. And it, I wanted to get the Braille chocolate bars. They were a hell of a lot more expensive than the Braille fortune cookies. Yes, I have the. I'll send to Judy and Brian. I have the addresses. Somebody in Maryland. Yeah, because there's somebody in Maryland that does them for Brown Goldstein and Levy. They do their business cards in Braille, and they in chocolate. I mean, in chocolate Braille, they do their business cards. So I went with the fortune cookies, and we also had the cakes. Um, the Yeah, that's a problem. You'd eat the business card. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what I wanted to share about the book. I mean, I could tell more stories about the just, you know, writing a book, it's a very solitary thing. And you really got to go deep inside. I felt I needed to go deep inside myself to figure out. I was basically reverse engineering what I had done naturally or through learning and through trial and error over the 20 plus years since Steve Mendelson called about the talking ATMs, but to write it in a book and teach people how do you write a letter to a big company and not have them just throw it in the trash can? You know, how can you keep a position of kindness and acknowledge what a company does well at the same time telling them they're violating a federal law by not having accessible technology? So... I reread all the letters we wrote, and I could see over time the letters became, as I got more confidence in structured negotiation as a successful practice, I wasn't so aggressive. And we started calling the, instead of in law, usually you call it a demand letter when somebody, you know, you write before you file a lawsuit. Now we call it an invitation to negotiate. And I had a whole section on language, and I talked about why call people opposing counsel if you don't want them to oppose. And just kind of like somebody interviewed me and they said, it sounds like really you're just talking about common sense. 
Kind of. I mean, it is kind of common sense. But once you get into a legal space, people kind of let common sense go out the window. And just basic relationships. I think that's the I always say the reason the MLB case was so successful is because Brian and the other advocates from Bay State, as well as Marlena in Washington and others in California, were able to establish a relationship with the Major League Baseball people. Brian, don't you agree? Really? Last you, year you could. Oh, you should have told me about that because I still have a good relationship with the lawyer. Good. You got to uh, escalate but, that. But I, I mean, they almost always do exactly what we tell them they need to do to make things accessible. I think this has to do with a sponsor. Oh, this uh-huh. year in Major League Baseball, you know, if, if, the, is, if, is, if the guy goes out and brushes off the base, the sponsor for base brushing at today's <laughs> no, everything's got a sponsor. Yeah. Comment that, that, that that's really important. So often, uh, once we fix something, it it doesn't yeah, always stay fixed. Yeah, right. So, and, and you know, one of the things I want to say about Laney is, you know, I went back like a year ago. Uh, I want to say two things. First, I want to talk about one of these letters that um, Linda and Laney write. I happen to have been involved in a in a suit with Safeway. The letter that they wrote was a masterpiece of research, and all of what they did was in the letter, no demands, no, but just here is what happened on such and such a day to so-and-so, here is another scenario, detail, here is the reference to the website uh, that isn't right, here is what the law says about accessibility. So in the structured negotiation, the research that goes into those initial letters is, is astounding. And already you would pay you know, other lawyers thousands of dollars for that kind of research. Then I wanted to say something about the follow-up. You know, a little while later, didn't they just change the app and forget to make you know, the two damn buttons uh, you know, where you're supposed to find out increase and decrease or check and put it in your cart? Uh, didn't they just make those buttons inaccessible? So I shot off a little letter to Laney and said, you know what, this app is not working. Three weeks later, you know, the next little update of the app, I noticed these check box, these buttons now have labels. So a lot of things, and, and you know, Laney and Linda stand there ready to remind all of our, the people that we work with, of things when they get you know rebroken or new people come on board and forget they're supposed to check these updates. So it's an ongoing process. Yeah, that's a really good question. When I speak to lawyers, one of the first things people say is like, well, if you don't have a settlement agreement that's approved by a judge, what happens when things don't go right? And we need to file a case because we need to be able to enforce the settlement in case they breach it, in case they violate it. And I actually have a whole chapter in the book about that because, like Judy said, 
we stay on it. And the truth is, the only way we as lawyers can stay on it is when you guys stay on it. Because if Judy didn't call and tell us that the app is, you know, the buttons are broken, then we wouldn't know. So the monitoring part, which we call monitoring the settlement agreement, enforcing, we, yes, we have some problems going forward, mostly because we're dealing with the biggest companies in the United States. So when we do, you know, prescription labels at Walgreens, there's going to be some pharmacist and some pharmacy somewhere, maybe many, who didn't get the memo, literally, you know. Or there's going to be uh, Target point of sale or, C- you know, all these companies, and they have low-wage workers, there's turnover. Honestly, Linda and I, in many of these places, we know more about their internal workings than they do. So Bank America, you know, we've worked with Bank America since 1995. Most recently, we did a case for Jessie Lorenz, who's a blind woman in San Francisco, who was a mortgage holder. With, she had her mortgage with B of A. They didn't have accessible information online. And they were great. It's like it happened to – they have a very good accessibility program at B of A, but the mortgage part, I could just see right away, different set of lawyers, different city, different building. And once we brought it to their attention through a process of structured negotiation, they were right on the ball. But yeah, you guys have to, and I'm going to say this on Monday, we can't do our job unless unless you all do, you all do your jobs. So yeah. Does anyone else have any questions. Let me just say one thing about the book um, and get information from you because you guys are library users. So the book um, is sold by the American Bar Association in electronic and print. It's on Amazon in print and Kindle. I actually, if anybody wants a print edition, I sell them for what my cost is, which is lower than both those places. So I brought a few here. And it's in Bookshare. So I don't know if it should be in other places or how to get it into other libraries or, you know, I welcome all suggestions for that or what more I could be doing to make sure it's available to anyone who wants to read it. And it's not just for lawyers. That's one of the reasons it took me so damn long to write the thing that I realized even though I try to write in plain English, when you write a book, it's really a whole different thing. And I read the whole book out loud twice which really helps see where the sentences are going on too long or where the paragraph breaks are needed. So I really tried to make it so, especially advocates are able to read it and get from it. What were the biggest compromises you had to do with your book? I, I hear make it less of a, um, a history, if you will, uh, and, and more readable. But what, what would you say was the, biggest compromise beyond that that you had to make to turn an idea into something Yeah, that's a really good question. Basically, I felt like I had people on my shoulders. Literally, I felt I had people on my shoulders. So one type of per- types of people, not act, although I did have people in mind for each type, but you know, I'm a civil rights lawyer. I'm an advocate for blind people. There are sometimes compromises we make in settlements, like every lawyer does, that I didn't necessarily want to broadcast. So when a defense lawyer for the next company is reading the book, I don't want anybody to be able to say, well, Lainey said on page you know, 67 that it's okay to do this. Because every single case is different. 
and I wanted to be super careful. And any time there was an issue like that, I would call Linda. Well, Linda read the whole book anyways, but for those particular things, and most of them had to do with money because in structured negotiation, we do negotiate about money, both payments for the individual blind people and the organizations as well as our attorney's fees. And there's some strategy in doing that that I didn't want to put in the book, but I also wanted the book to be you know, it had to be like a full honest, I didn't want to be dishonest, but I didn't want to give too much on things that perhaps we didn't want defense lawyers to know. So that was one person on the shoulder. Yeah, Paul. So so for fun, I'm going to ask, um, I'm, I'm going to ask a, a question that directly relates to Lua. Um, one, one of the issues that, that many of us have had is that even though there appears to be clear legal precedent um, for it being okay for um, the publishers of electronic books uh, using encryption in their formats um, to make them available, and there are rulings in the Library of Congress and a range of other things, um, many publishers, in fact, um, have chosen to ignore those stipulations and to ignore what appear to be the rules um, and are doing nothing so that, um, in, in, in my opinion anyway, I don't know if Brian agrees with me, there, there are probably hundreds of thousands of books to which blind people legally have the right to access but in fact don't get it. Yeah. So do you think that's an issue um, that, that <laughs> might be appropriate to handle with structured negotiations? Um, well, we should talk about that offline. Basic, I mean, one thing to say is structured negotiation. Somebody's counting us right now. <laughs> I'm just okay, someone's at the door counting us, but it's okay. It's okay. Um, a couple things: structured negotiation as a process is to handle a legal claim. So I'm not familiar, like a publisher. If you're a bookstore. As we all know, bookstores don't have to carry Braille books. It's like a specific exception. So is a publisher, what laws, there's two questions to ask. What laws require this? And do those laws give an individual person a right to sue? Because without that, or without a legal theory, you can't really bring a structured negotiation. On the other hand, several people have said to me, oh, the steps in the book can be useful even if you don't have a legal claim, like the strategies about contacting people. So I'd be interested in looking that, at that with you. We could, we could have a call with Lua, yeah, Lua leadership. And, yeah, fun. yeah, I think we should think of it because there could, be other thing, there could be other legal theories besides the ADA. Like if some publishers are doing it and others aren't, you could have a situation where they're not – uh, you know, unfair business practice because they're not following best practices, things well, like I mean, that. I mean, you have the situation with, with Amazon where, or not Amazon, um, what it, yeah, I guess it was Amazon, Kindle, um, where, where some publishers agreed to, um, to, to, to allow um, the use of synthetic speech to read their books while others did not. Right. We had the problem with the... Uh, Association it was, but they claimed that it was uh, the authors. Of all yeah, it was the authors that they claimed that they hadn't sold it to uh, 
Amazon the performance rights of their books. Right, but didn't didn't we win that case? Yeah. I mean, the person who knows the most, NFB has done a lot of good work through the Dan Goldstein firm right. on the... So whenever I have... I mean, one thing you guys should all know about any legal issue is um, Dan is actually retiring, for those of you who know Dan, but lucky for our field, Eve Hill is taking his place. And she's a powerhouse civil rights attorney, and we're friends, and it's really a very collaborative relationship. And so if there's, like, if, if, you, if we had a conversation about Lou and book access, you know, probably the first thing I'd say in that conversation is, oh, let me see... What we always check with, I always check with Eve, Eve checks with me to make sure, you know, we have the strongest team on whatever the issue is. So one last thing about the people on my shoulder. So I had those defense lawyers didn't want to give away any secrets, although I got a quote from Sam Bagenstoss, um, who's a civil rights lawyer in Michigan, a professor, and she, he gave a blurb for the back of the book that says, blah, blah, blah. Then he says, now she shares her secrets. So <laughs> I did share some secrets. And then the other people on my shoulder were my friends and colleagues and peers in the disability rights movement who do lawsuits, people like Dan Goldstein and Eve Hill, who I don't, you know, I see us all as part of a community of people advancing civil rights of blind people. And I didn't want anyone, so if you read the book, you can see I probably say five times, civil, you know, lawsuits are important. There's some things, Olmstead, you know, I give some examples, Brown versus Board of Education, but a lot of, I mean, look at the Winn-Dixie case that just, this was the first trial under the ADA for web accessibility brought by a lawyer who wasn't me, wasn't Dan Goldstein, wasn't Eve Hill, and they won. And that is getting more media attention than Safeway times 100. So, that's good for us. It's good for there to be trial wins. It's good for there to be a lot of strategies and a lot of different tools. So I wrote this book to share one tool, and I hope you'll, you know, I hope you'll read it and let me know what you think, and I hope you'll share it with your friends. And if you have ideas for making the book more available to others, please let me know. And if you want to buy one, I'm selling them here for 30 this week, which is what I pay for them. If you want to buy a print one, a print one with an autograph. I I don't have the digital ones, but you can get those for free. All right, Brian. Lainey, thank you so much. I really do appreciate you taking the time and coming to the And and for the record, you guys, it really is a great book, and it's very readable. Yes, it it is. It doesn't read like a law book. Thank you. And what it it does, perhaps more than anything else, um, is it honors everyone with whom Lainey deals, which is a very hard thing to do in a law book. Yeah, well, I was going to, yeah. I was going to say that tomorrow when I talked to the big group, I was thinking, oh, I need to name everyone who's in the book. And then I realized, no, I can't do that with too many people. So I have another, pay attention tomorrow. I have another plan for that. So, okay, should I pass? Does anybody want yes. some of the fortune cookies? Please, please leave me two on my, my space there, if you would. Each person can get five. Okay. The fortune cookies? Then three of them I get. The fortune cookies are free. So, we have one more item on the agenda before we can leave this space. And that is Lua Business. Now, as you can tell, probably no matter how you want to... Yes. Yeah, the whole thing is being recorded. 
So the, the fact of the matter is that uh, I don't think under anybody's definition of quorum, we qualify. No. Uh, on, the, on the other hand, on the other hand, we still have to do something. And the one thing we must do is elections. Um, following the Lua Constitution, I asked an individual to act as the nominating committee chair. That individual is Paul Edwards. He met with uh, some self-selected members of a committee. And what is the Lua nominating committee's report? Well, this year, and I, and I also um, looked through a, a copy of, of our Constitution. Um, and, and so I'm sure that what I'm saying is, in fact, in accordance with the Constitution. And that is that we are, um, this year, um, electing officers, and all of the officers who currently are serving uh, are able to serve again. So essentially, um, it essentially, what the nominating committee recommends is that the current slate of officers be continued. So you've heard the nominating committee's report. That is, they would recommend a slate of the existing officers of Lua to be reelected to their current positions. So even though it may be just pro forma, uh, I'd like to, uh, Paul, are you making that in the form of a motion? I, I, I am, but I'd also, I'd also like to speak to the issue of, of quorum. We're not, we're, we're not breaking the rules of quorum because the, the rules of quorum in our constitution um, uh, don't would would not preclude this from being a legal election if we chose to make it that. Thank you. Present and voting. That's correct. Yeah. 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 Whoever's present and present and voting. So, the, nonetheless, Paul, you're making your motion. I, I am making I am making a motion that the slate of officers recommended by the nominating committee, which consists of um, uh, Brian Charlson as president. Um, Judy, Judy. Is, Judy, you first. Yes. I'm just the only vice president. Yeah, uh, right. you only have one. And um, Rhonda Trott as secretary, and Adam, Adam Rushable as it's treasurer, um, be continued. And 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 by the way, as I'm I'm able to do this because uh, you, you guys can't throw me out unless you choose not to elect Brian. <laughs> All right, so you've heard the motion on the floor. This does not preempt you from running for one of these positions from the floor. We certainly are not attempting to railroad this through. We're just looking for, uh, and then what? So, at this point, is there a second to Paul's motion? There, there, there doesn't need to be a second. It came from the nominating committee. Okay, okay. fine. I, I've been informed by our self-appointed parliamentarian <laughs> that is not really required. But anyway, is there anybody who would like to run for one of these offices other than those uh, recommended by the nominating committee? Hearing none, let's move on to the vote. All those in favor of re-electing our current slate of officers indicate by saying aye. 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 All those opposed, no. The eyes have it. So in the terms of reporting to this organization, uh, one, 
we have selected Paul Edwards to uh, be our delegate. So when Lewis called on roll call, Lewis votes, which I believe are four, uh, Paul will be casting those. Paul will be sitting in the Florida delegation, correct? Correct. So if you want to have an impact on how he's going to cast those votes, you need to find Paul in the Florida delegation. Two, Peggy Garrett has agreed to be our representative to the nominating committee. And when are they holding their meeting? Tomorrow? 545, 545 tonight. 545 tonight. So um, the fact of the matter is that we don't see that there's going to be much uh, in the way of contested voting, but she is there and has to be in there from 545, door closed, casts our one vote. Uh, she served on the board and uh, in leadership capacity for some time. So I feel very comfortable that she knows what she needs to know to vote in uh, individuals who would be supportive of our in ideas and concerns. Um, Adam has sent a report by email of our accounts. Um, quite honestly, it's a little difficult to read uh, because it's in Word format but it's a table uh, and hard to read on an iPhone. Nonetheless, I can assure you that two things are true. One is that Library Users of America have properly invested the funds they've earned uh, and are getting a reasonable return on our investments. We have invested uh, oh, about two-thirds of our total uh, assets. Uh, any of the board members remember about where we're at yeah, dollar wise our, I think that our that our current current balance is right at seventeen thousand yeah, dollars right. about seventeen thousand dollars exactly um, and again we have invested ten thousand was our original investment right. and now that's worth about and we paid upfront fees so we actually had less than ten thousand to start invested. with but and, it and has we're, more we're than recoup that eleven and approaching twelve Exactly. So we're doing quite well in that regard. Other business to come before us. Is there anybody? Yes, please. I'm sorry, but I, I forgot to look at the board, and I wasn't at the last board meeting, and I was excused. Did Lua agree? Are we buying raffle tickets? Yes, two. Okay. Yes, that was in, in our last meeting. You're right. And we'll understand that 5000 of the dollars that are in our treasury came because we bought that's right. Raffle, Raffle tickets. Three years ago. Three right? years ago, and we hit for 5000 oh, wow. wow. So that didn't hurt us any. So, so, Mr. President, should I make a motion that we give you $100 to play with slot? Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Something about our 501c3 status might be slightly askew by that. So, again, so the is back. there any business to become come before the membership uh, mr president yes do we do we want to hear a little bit from the folks who uh, who are on our nls committee are is miss glass here no uh ralph you in a position you guys are in you, uh, we well, pretty much talked tech we talked tech yes we did it's an interesting process because um, NLS has gone from a primary model of you come to a meeting 
and you spend a day and they pick up the tab for the airfare and that kind of stuff so it doesn't cost anything for us to go to doing more things by conference call doesn't that sound familiar yeah. right but it also means that the NLS folks gather around a conference table at NLS headquarters uh, and put a speakerphone in the middle of the room and then those of us who they'd otherwise have to pay the cost of having come in um, are on a conference phone uh, so it's difficult to keep it from turning into they talk to us and we say mm-hmm right. would you say that's fair Ralph? yes yeah uh, and a lot of the information provided by NLS is uh, looking toward the uh, future not next week exactly several several years down the road so when we're talking about the new talking book machine and the new braille display uh, book reader we're talking in very very general terms at this point um, and there are times when uh, those on the call will say something and you can tell that all the NLS people are looking at one another <laughs> trying to figure out how to formulate an answer that they would agree with uh, as a group uh, Judy is on that Judy uh, Dixon is a member of the staff that participates in that particular one and I can hear her from time to time say yeah but dot 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 and insert insert things so it's not like NLS is walking in march you know in lockstep together but we really have to be persistent as consumer reps on these committees to make sure that even if NLS goes in a different direction than we recommend it won't be because nobody recommended a different way one of the things that I, I find really interesting in the future of the talking book device is this concept of it being a wireless device. So if it's a wireless device and you can download into it, you have to have the ability first to select books, right? That's right. Otherwise, otherwise, what good is it, right? That's right. So it may end up being a hybrid between Bard and this downloadable load straight into it thing, somewhat like a Victor Reader stream can be. The problem is that NLS has to create a device that will work for everybody whether or not they have wireless in their home. So if that's going to be the case, they're looking at providing individuals upon need with a MiFi-like device. Has anybody stopped by and looked at the IRA booth? No? Okay. They use Google Glass, they use your iPhone, and they use a MiFi device that allows the video stream from the Google Glass to go not over the cellular system, but over a Wi-Fi system. Um, and as a result, it's much faster. Trust me, if you had to do it uh, any other way uh, over your iPhone or that kind of stuff, it would not be anywhere near as effective. So they're talking about doing a MiFi device. So how are we going to get them to figure out the, the social implications of saying, here's a machine you can download on. Oh, are, do you have Wi-Fi in your home? Do you need us to provide you with a MiFi device? Are they going to get into a show us that you don't, how are they going to know that, that or not? And if, one of the things they're 
going to be doing, and this is part of what the IRIS system does, is lock it so that MyFi can only be used for purposes of downloading books. So there's lots of things associated with this technology. I was a little disappointed when they were talking about in the Braille device, for example, not putting in a, roof, a grade two translator or a contraction generator. Um, because I want to be able to access, you know, iBooks. Things that uh, come from third-party sources that don't know anything about Braille. But I want to be able to do it. And so they're making decisions, even this early on, even though there hasn't been a drawing. But the decisions are, when they go out to look for those ones, you heard Karen say um, that they're going to be looking in part two of their efforts, they're going to be looking to put together a set of expectations and send that out to vendors and ask those vendors to produce a product that meets those expectations and they'll choose among them. Right. So it's in that list of expectations. Do you expect such a book to be, or such a device, to be capable of converting uncontracted text files into contracted Braille or not? You know, I, 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 I guess I'd like to make three comments if I could, That's Brian. Please. I have a couple of questions. Go for it. Um, so, Paul. So, the, so the three comments that I would make is first a really positive one, and that is uh, I, I, I along, with, uh, along with Kim Charlson, um, served way back when, when we were, when we were doing the transition um, between, um, between cassettes and the new system. Um, and Kim and I were pretty cantankerous as members, and, and both of us, at least to a degree, ended up getting either thrown off or, or disregarded. But, but the reality is that what we did and what we said absolutely, I think, made a huge difference in getting us to a place where BART even happened. Um, because that wasn't initially part of NLS's plan. So my first comment is, and, and, and it's not to say anything about me, it's to say that that persistence and clarity in terms of what we want um, makes a pretty huge difference in terms of moving processes forward. And so we're lucky to have Brian and Ralph on that committee um, and lucky to have two representatives there. My second comment has to do with Braille, and that is I, I have a fundamental disagreement with couple of the attitudes that NLS has with regard to Braille. Um, the, the current BARD system, um, the current BARD system will not allow you to read a Braille book on your iPhone using, its, using speech. Um, that is, it, 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 it does not allow for back translation within the BARD system. And, and the same principle is being applied to the new system that, in terms of the Braille device. And while I understand, I think, where they're coming from, I have a fundamental disagreement with it because I think there, there are, uh, or potentially can be, lots of books that are available only in Braille and not available in other ways. And what we're, do what we're doing is we're essentially saying that readers who are not Braille readers will not be able to read these books. Whereas with other entities like Bookshare, um, back translators built into devices like Victor Reader Streams enable people to do that. So I'll shut up because there, you know, I think other people need to have a chance. 
Judy, you wanted the floor? Uh, I was listening to the kinds of decisions you have to make. Are, do they send you materials to look at in a timely manner, or are a lot of those decisions like on the fly, where you have to, where you really aren't, maybe don't, do, do you have the materials in a timely way that you need to, to give reasonable, valuable input to them? At this point, Ralph, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, what we got was an agenda. That's right. No material came with it. It was all verbal reports from different um, divisions at NLS working on different questions associated with that. Now that may change going forward, but that certainly is the case right now. So, unlike uh, what um, Susan Glass was able to do, where she knew she was going to go to a meeting, she uh, knew that the general subject of that committee was collection development. And she could ask some general questions and ask members to get back to her and take that combined thing in and talk to them. Technology doesn't lend itself to that at this point in the game. Um, mostly what we end up doing, and, and Ralph, at any time, correct me here, most of what we're doing is asking questions that require some form of response um, before we can move on. And we've been very serious when we've had meetings. For example, the first meetings didn't include the Braille device. All they wanted to talk about was a, the next generation talking book machine. While this Braille device was being discussed, you know, kind of not off so much the record, but just, you know, on the sidelines. And so one of the recommendations from the consumers, written recommendation, was the Braille device ought to be part of the discussion. These things don't live in a vacuum. So occasionally we can make those kind of comments and, and by reiterating them at the meetings, and because they're teleconference meetings, they can happen more frequently. They almost always are followed up with email responses to questions from the meetings. That's worked out fairly well at this point. Uh, but it's, it's clearly not a straightforward scenario. I really commend Karen in saying we're going to have a Braille device out in what year did she say? 2020. Right. Right? Yes. That's courageous to say that. In the federal bureaucracy, there's no funds yet to do more than to explore the idea of at this point. But uh, I'm confident that, that there's enough advocacy within the NLS heart to get the funding to make this happen. And I'm now getting an incoming call from ACB President Kim Charles. So I think we need to adjourn and move on to our next things. Thank you for coming. Uh, I would love to say, you know, the way we can get Lua to, to be even more influential is to double our membership. And there is no reason that can't happen. Talk to your friends who love. Every member of this organization should be a member of Lua. Well, and, and, and Brian, we should say that the board has agreed um, in, in our in, in our pre-convention get-together mm -hmm. um, to to set up a, a process um, that that will in fact begin to create a forward-looking plan of action 
I think the other thing that we can say is that um, uh, I think that, that we would all agree that Lua has moved in some really positive directions over the last couple of years. So Brian's doing a nice job. Absolutely. Thank you. So we're going to do some great stuff. We're going to write us a, a white paper yep. uh, and a couple of other things along those lines. Right. Motion to adjourn. All those in favor, say goodbye. 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 goodbye.